This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes a big chance. The shot is. Is this the tagger? The neutral zone. This is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Brock Richardson. It is Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on what is going to be a long weekend as we in Canada celebrate Thanksgiving. And two things that I'm thankful for is my two co-hosts, because without them, we wouldn't be able to do a show. Let's introduce one. Josh Watson, how are you today? I am doing well, Brock. It is Friday afternoon. I am starting a new job on Tuesday, which I feel like I've been teasing forever now. And it's supposed to be a good, if not great, weekend weather-wise. So I'm looking forward to relaxing and spending some time with some family, and it's going to be good. Yes, I agree with you 100%. And Claire Buchanan is also joining us. Claire, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, yeah, Josh has done a fantastic job of keeping his little secret to himself, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy for him. And honestly, I this is the first couple of years I've actually been able to celebrate Thanksgiving because I'm usually away at a hockey camp. Ah, see, when you're not at a hockey camp, there's certain things you can actually uh, celebrate. I know for me, I felt that way when AMI Audio would do the uh, Canadian Blind Hockey Championships, and it was over the Easter weekend, and people would be like, are you around for Easter weekend? Nope, doing the uh, Blind Hockey Championship. It's all good. So yeah, totally understand that feeling as well, and all through my career, you know, had to postpone uh, family gatherings so enjoy that while you're not at the camp this year uh let's enjoy our headlines for this week as the seattle kraken enter their first national hockey league season they have done one million dollars in merchandise alone And gee, I have to say that doing $1 million of merchandise means that this team will be successful in what they do, at least with the fans, moving forward. After a 91-win season, the Toronto Blue Jays fell one game short of the tiebreaker of the playoffs. After a good season, I believe this is good. We got to 91 wins. Congratulations the Blue Jays. Bubba Wallace became the second black driver ever to win at NASCAR's top Cup Series level when rain stopped Monday's playoff race at Talladega Speedway. Wallace had driven through a crash and to the front of the field five laps before the second rain stoppage of the race. NASCAR tried to dry the track for nearly 45 minutes, but called things off as sunset approached and the rain showed no sign of ceasing. It is really exciting to me to see that there is some diversity coming to motorsports because when I think about it growing up, there 
just never was. And so congratulations, Bubba Wallace. It may not have been the ending that you expected, but you are still the champion. Congratulations. Over the weekend, Las Vegas Golden Knights goalie Robin Leonard published a collection of tweets that accused, quote, many teams of giving out benzodiazepines and Ambien to employees when they travel. Leonard tagged the NHL and NHLPA in these allegations of medical malpractice, and the league reportedly reached out to Leonard to set up an interview with the goalie. NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman joined the Jeff Merrick show on Monday and was asked about his perspective on Leonard's position. He said, in part, We take his comments seriously, and we'd like, in short order, to be in conversation with him so we can hear his concerns directly, and we're going to follow up to see what merit there may be to his concerns. Bettman added, You don't have to tweet to get our attention. We have an 800 number people can call. You can call us directly. We're an open book. But if he has concerns, we want to hear them and see how they need to be addressed. This kind of an allegation is really scary when you consider how these drugs are uh, portrayed, especially Ambien. And uh, I just, I really hope that Robin Leonard, who has been outspoken on the subject of drugs and health and especially mental health, gets the opportunity to air his concerns and and if there are grievances there that they are addressed in short order. And I think, Josh, they have to be done in the right way as well. And I think Gary Bettman threw a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of gasoline on the fire by, by saying, hey, we have an 800 number. Call it. Use it. Do it in the right channels. Don't do it on social media so i do think as much as gary does have concern over this there is a little bit of you know fire being thrown back from the commissioner's office saying hey let's do this the right way and not over social media those are your headlines for this week go ahead josh yeah i would say as usual the way robin leonard's gone about things is maybe not the way the league would like but i think he has his reasons for going about it that way and we'll see what happens very very accusatory tone as of recent when you look at uh, some of the press conferences he has done in the last year and a half to two years let's check in on our twitter polls from last week and this week um do you think the tampa bay rays organization will eventually move to montreal 60 percent of you said yes 40 percent of you said no uh, interesting on that Twitter poll, we got, saw a tweet today saying that they are looking forward to splitting their home games between Tampa Bay and Montreal after last week saying, no, we'd like to keep our partnership. So lots of confusion there in the grand scheme of things when you think of the uh, Rays and Montreal. This week's Twitter poll question already getting a lot of love out there. This week, should the Toronto Blue Jays bring back manager Charlie Montoyo? Answers are simple. Yes or no. And you can cast your votes at our Twitter handles, which will be given out a little later on in the program. Coming up next, we're going to speak to Danielle Doris, who is coming off of a successful Paralympic event. 
from Tokyo. Stay tuned for that conversation next to On the Neutral Zone. For the neutral zone, call now 1 866 509 4545. And don't forget to give us permission to use your message on the air. Let's get ready to leave a voicemail. right here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson and Claire Buchanan. Joining us on the phone is Danielle Doris from Moncton, New Brunswick. Danielle is coming off representing Canada at the Tokyo 2020 Paralympic Games, where she came back with a gold medal in the 50-meter S7 Butterfly. Welcome back to the program, Danielle. Nice to chat with you again. Yes, nice to chat with you guys too. Danielle, if we can start off with when you landed in Tokyo, I'm curious, how much training were you able to get in before your races? So for that, we had um, access to three different pools while we were in Tokyo. So we were able to train um, a couple times in the actual competition pool, and then we had full access to the warm-up pool as well as the training pool. So we were able to get a couple training sessions in before our, our races actually began. Compared to your training before heading to Tokyo, what do the practices look like and how are they different from when you were in Tokyo preparing for your races? So while we were in Canada, uh, during the training there, it's very much uh, focused on getting everything ready uh, for when we land in Tokyo, um, such as like pace times and um, getting mentally ready. And then when we actually get into Tokyo, the training very much um, becomes less. And instead of like two hour practices, it's only an hour and a half or an hour practice where we're just doing quick things um, with, um, with the stopwatch and nothing too, nothing too taxing. Let's focus in, if we can, on your 50-meter butterfly race, the one where you broke a record not once but twice. Um, did you have a special feeling before that race, or did you have an idea that, that something might be about to happen or that maybe you were feeling particularly good that day? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so leading up to training, I in training, we... Uh, we're doing a bunch of practice 50s and pace 25 for the 50. And um, it, those times that I was making, it very much showed that I was capable of doing the world record. And lo and behold, I did. And it was an amazing feeling, and I couldn't be more proud of myself. Now, following up on that, when you broke the record, what goes through your mind when you know that that's about to happen? 
it's a feeling of shock, a little bit of relief, and uh, a lot of intense uh, feelings of um, pride that goes through your body and your mind after you look at the clock, and it's just an amazing feeling. We're joined by Danielle Doris, who is a gold medal Paralympic swimmer, and you're listening to The Neutral Zone here on AMI-audio, and I'm Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson and Claire Buchanan. With training to go to Tokyo and the goal being to win a gold medal, did you already have that in mind that you could also break the record, or was that kind of just the icing on the cake? Uh, No, uh, I was going in there thinking that I was coming out with a medal and a world record as well, so... Um, it was very much in my head that both of those things were going to happen and um, only something just the only thing that would stop it would be like something terribly ha- wrong going on that with me or like with that day or to prevent that from happening. But luckily everything fell into place and uh, I came out with the two things that I wanted. That is fantastic. During that race, did you have an opportunity to kind of realize that the win was going to happen or do you not really think about that until after you've touched the wall? Uh, normally I don't really look uh, and realize how far ahead I am uh, until after the race. And so when I saw that final time, I, of the 32.99, I was completely shocked and to see how far ahead I was. And it was only just a 50 and being that far ahead in the 50 is crazy. So I usually didn't, I didn't notice until after the race. With going to the medal ceremony afterwards, can you walk us through what that was like and how that experience was for you? Yeah. um, So for the medal ceremony, like right after my race, um, our team manager came up to me and she was like, you should get uh, Ryan, my coach, uh, to go put your medal on for you. And I was like, oh, my God, yes, this is a great opportunity, and I'm going to take that. And so I told him, and he was <laughs> he looked at me like, are you crazy? And uh, so we went up and did that. And as soon as he, like, put my medal on, that's when I started bawling my eyes out. And then O Canada was playing, and I was crying. So it was just an amazing feeling and a lot of emotions of happiness and a lot of relief. Now, I'm curious what takeaways maybe you got uh, beyond the gold medal from Tokyo, whether that's in the pool or or out of it. Uh, One of the big takeaways I would take is the fact that um, it gave me so many more experiences than I did in in Rio. In Rio, I basically just like stuck to myself and didn't leave my room unless I had to go to the pool, but... In Tokyo, I actually went and go and made friends and used that to my opportunity to create lifelong friendships. So that would be my takeaway is just like getting out of my bubble more. That's always a good, uh, you know, a good realization because I remember when I went uh, to my first Paralympics in 2008, I was much the same. I was like, I am, you know, 16, 17 years old at the time. I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm just coming, you know, to, to compete and that's it. I'm curious what it's been like for you since being home. What's been the 
reception uh, since you've been home with that gold medal around your neck? <laughs> um, it's been kind of hectic, uh, but kind of not hectic at the same time. Uh, my first week home, I had a lot of busy schedules where I went to the Moncton Market and I signed some stuff there for people who came to visit me and I had a bunch of interviews to do as well. And then it really died down. And then, then it started picking up again with more interviews where more people started to realize how big of a deal it was. And now it's very calm. Uh, currently moving to Montreal. so. What's the feeling like when you see athletes, you know, or sorry, people coming up to you as an athlete, you know, in, in stores and wanting you to sign things. What's that like? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, it was a, it was great. It just shows that more people care. Um, and it shows how much of an inspiration I am to others to get active and more involved into their sports and to see how far they can go. And it's just a great feeling to see that I make an impact on somebody else's life. Okay, there's something that just caught my ear there. Did you say you're moving to Montreal? Yeah, uh, I'm currently on on the road to Montreal. Oh, goodness. What takes you there? Uh, More training, um, uh, better for more facilities, such as like like a gym within the facility at the pool and a high performance. It's a high performance center that I'm going to be training at. So I'm just furthering my career over there. Gotcha. Was this always part of the plan for you once you left to Tokyo, or was it something that was spontaneous? Oh, no. It's, it's been the, in the works for two years now. <laughs> oh, very good. And a final one for you. Uh, moving forward, when we get to uh, Paris, what, uh, what's the goal moving, moving towards Paris? What do you want to accomplish in Paris that maybe you didn't accomplish in Tokyo? Uh, the goal there is maybe coming home with a, a third medal, hopefully, and uh, um, as well as getting more best times and hopefully breaking my world record again. Sounds like you've got a lot on your plate, and I'm sure uh, training gets going very, very soon. If, uh, if you are moving to Montreal, best of luck with the move, and uh, we hope to have you on again maybe right before Paris. Yes, for sure. Thanks. That was Danielle Doris, who is a Paralympic swimmer and brought home a gold medal and broke the world record not once but twice on the same day. Coming up next, we're going to switch gears to the mainstream sports world and tell you why Carey Price will not be with the Montreal Canadiens at the start of the 2021 season. Stay with us. We'll be right back. to get in touch with the Neutral Zone on Twitter. Number one, at AMI Audio. Number two, 
at Neutral Zone BR. Number three, at Neutral Zone CB. Number four, at Neutral Zone Cam J. And number five, at Jay Watson 200. Now get out there and tweet one for the giver. <laughs> Welcome back to the Neutral Zone right here on AMI-audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Josh Watson and Claire Buchanan this week. I just want to touch on um, Danielle Doris's interview and say that um, I spent a lot of my career um, training in Montreal. And just before I ended my career, uh, Bocce Canada got involved with uh, the INS, which is the largest uh, high-performance training center in Canada. And I have to tell you, it is a beautiful facility. And although she didn't name that facility directly, I would uh, would bet that that's uh, where she's headed because it's a beautiful facility. It has you set up for success, and it's one of those situations, guys, where you can... Uh, get to see other athletes train alongside you and build some friendships, which is uh, vastly important. And I think, Josh, that's the misnomer of uh, of sports is how important the friendships are as opposed to just the results themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Just from my own experience going to national championships, I know that if it's not for my friends and my teammates, I'm probably not as comfortable as I could be because you're going through something you've never been through before. And if you're not there with people you trust and and with people you can lean on, then it can be really overwhelming. For sure. Yeah, it it really can be. And and I think too, like when you can, build those friendships and, and take them uh, with you. And sometimes some of those athletes, uh, as you mentioned, Josh, are coming with you when you get to train at, at, you know, a place like the INS in Montreal, those athletes are training with you and they're also coming with you to different events when it's a multi-sport event there as well. So just wanted to uh, shed some light on the uh, training facilities in Montreal because they are, definitely for high-level athletes. And I love the mix between um, para and Olympic athletes there as well. Uh, We wanted to touch on a topic that came out a couple of days ago, and that is that Montreal Canadiens goaltender Carey Price is voluntarily taking part in the NHL Players Association Assistance Program due to some mental health struggles he is currently having. Now, I do want to mention that I've seen a couple of narratives on social media that he uh, may be on a substance or having alcohol or whatever. That has not come out in the media. We don't know exactly what Carey Price is going through. Um, And this program is not just for substance abuse. It is for people who are just having struggles in every day-to-day life. So I just want to put that out there because I have seen the narrative and it doesn't necessarily make me happy that we automatically jump to, oh, they must be 
addicted to some substance when that's not necessarily true. Claire, start with you on this one. Thoughts when you heard this uh, come out of the uh, Montreal Canadiens camp? I mean, if anything, I'm proud of the guy. It's fantastic that they have this uh, program for the athletes themselves to to be able to reach out and say, hey, I'm not performing as well. I need some help and, and get the help that they need. And it's it's organizations like that that high performance athletes need because they they're put on under a ton of pressure. And when we think back to last season, Carey Price had quite an up and down season and it didn't end the way that he had hoped. And maybe he's tackling that and decisions about his career and his future uh, a little harder than uh, he expected. So I'm glad he's reaching out and I, I hope he gets the help that he that he needs for both himself and his supporting cast around him with his family. Absolutely. I think it's incredibly important that we see people like Carrie and others go and seek out help because I know growing up uh, as, as someone who's a little bit older, uh, the narrative has always been, well, suck it up just just deal with it and that's not a healthy way of dealing with things it's it's really not and i actually am uh, really glad brock that you brought up the fact that this program is not just for substance abuse Uh, there's a montreal gazette story where there's a bit of a description and Basically, it says that the program helps players and their families deal with mental health, substance abuse, and other matters with counselors available in each NHL city. So I think it's incredibly important that he reach out and get the help that he needs because he's an amazing goaltender and he's not just balancing the Montreal Canadiens, but he's also got potentially the Beijing Olympics coming up. So that's... uh, that that's really important that you you have your ducks in a row, so to speak. Yeah, I had this um, this conversation with someone earlier in the week, and I, we talked about the fact that you could have you know multi millions of dollars, and you know keep getting your 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 contracts extended year after year, and every time it ends, you know if you're if you're as highly sought after as someone as Terry Price you don't have to worry about money because you know if it doesn't work out um, with the Montreal Canadiens, it's going to work out with another organization. So money really never has to be uh, a concern. And this just goes to show you that no matter how much money you are blessed to have in your life, you can still have these struggles. And I think, you know, for me, the thing that I look at, I think it's great that Carey Price went himself to say i need this help and i'm the one that's standing here at the nhl you know and saying i need this help because a lot of times some people are are too proud and it goes back to the point where you made of oh just pick yourself up dust yourself off and 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 move on well it's not that easy in life to do that and you are under an immense amount of pressure whether you are a professional you know athlete you are under an immense amount of pressure so then let's let's talk a little bit about this with an athlete such as Carey Price going and getting this help what does that do for the rest of the community if anything 
um, when you see someone like Carrie Price who might need the help, Claire, does it help? Does it hinder? Does it do anything? I mean, as, as a community, you can see the outpouring support that they are giving him. And so I'm, I'm proud that they have a fan base that is supporting him and not questioning his, his motives and, and what he's doing because he is, like you said, he he's Carey Price. And at the end of the day, he's a big factor in their win and loss uh, records. So I, I hope that both his players and the fans stick by this support that they're showing right now, because we can't put a timeline on this. Uh, I, I don't want that question hopefully coming up of, oh, when is he going to be back and all this? And because it's it's up to him. I don't want to hear it once. I don't want to no, hear it no. once, actually. Yeah, if I heard it once, uh, we're coming on this program and I am ripping a new one out of the person that I hear say, so any update on Carey Price, when, when might he return? It's fine to ask for any update, but the second I hear any update on, on a return, I, I, I'm going to be losing it. Uh, on this very program because it's about him and it's about him uh, moving forward and there is no timeline and to put a timeline on it isn't fair to Carey Price or anyone else um, that might be having these struggles. Josh, comment on what kind of impact this has on the community beyond the National Hockey League? I think it's absolutely important for the community to see this because you can, as a young person, an old person, whatever the, your case may be, you can see your hero potentially asking for help. And if you see that, then you can say to yourself, well, if one of my heroes can can be brave and ask for help, then then so can I. And I think we have to remember that athletes, whether it be NHL players, NBA players, MLB players, they are solely focused from the time they're teenagers that I'm going to be a professional athlete. And so maybe the the issue is that the, the identity is being shifted because of these injuries. And he's saying, well, if I'm not a professional athlete, what am I? Because he's been that for so much of his life. And so I I just think it's it's critical that we see these things come out because you you have to know that it's okay to reach out for help if you need it. Yeah. Let me uh let me give you a personal example. I started having serious conversations with myself in uh, 2014 about the idea of retiring uh, from the national program in Bocce. And one of the things I struggled with is the very thing that Josh just said. If I leave this, who is Brock Richardson? Who, who am I? What do I do? What's my identity moving forward? I didn't have radio broadcasting in my back pocket at the time I was considering, you know, retiring. It was like, who am I? What am I, what am I doing beyond this? And you're right, Josh, when you are a 13, 14, 15 year old who's got nothing but hockey 
as an identity, you do have to step back and say to yourself, okay, if this doesn't go right, who am I as a person? And maybe that's part of what Carrie's struggling with here. And again, money doesn't make your identity. You still need to have an identity beyond whatever it is you're doing, whether it's in sport, out of sport, whatever the case may be. So very um, good point there, Josh. And I think it's important, you know, for me to pull back the curtain and say, I know that feeling. I know that feeling of what do I do if this isn't here? Who am I as a person? And it's a very tough conversation to have with yourself, Claire. It's the toughest conversation to have. I have had the similar conversation when I was thinking of moving from solely focusing on wheelchair basketball to putting all my efforts into sledge hockey that still to this day where it's going to be a long time and until it's at the Paralympic games and stuff. So I did have to have those serious conversations of like, what do I want to be as a person outside of sports? And again, you, you guys uh, opened that door for me and got me into uh, broadcasting and this passion of mine. And I I'm so appreciative of it because that's such a common thing that high performance athletes go through. And uh, I, I forget the proper term, but I think it's like post-Olympic Paralympic depression. And it, it is that mindset. Paralympic that blues. Feeling. Yeah, those exactly. Yeah. It's because you're, you've reached this pinnacle and you're like, okay, I spent the 50, last 15, 20 years trying to make it to the Paralympics on the podium. I've done it. Now what? And you see like Christine St. Clair after winning the gold medal in Tokyo saying things like it hasn't even hit me yet because it's you, it's hard to grasp that you put all this time and effort into one thing and it's, and now you've reached it and it's this, Oh, well, what's next. And, and what's the first conversation we had related to, you know, Christine Sinclair, does she do another one? What, what, you know, that we in the media almost assist in painting this picture of like, Oh, is there going to be another one? You know, she's, you know, she's getting up there. Is there going to be another one? And so right away after she won the gold medal, one of the first questions was after how are you feeling? You finally broke through was, are you doing this again? And I'm sure Carrie had to go through this, you know, and is going through this with, is my future with Montreal? Is it with another team? Is it outside of hockey? What is it? And, you know, it's a tough conversation to have uh, all around, I believe, truly, when you look at the grand scheme of the sporting landscape and who you are as a person. I want to touch on the impact that this does have on the Montreal organization. And I will lead this conversation off by saying that Montreal General Manager Mark Bergevin um, really got emotional when he was asked, what does Carey Price uh, mean to your organization? What does this decision mean? And it wasn't, oh, our our product isn't going to be as good without Carey, because that's obvious, but it was who Carey was as a person. And I think that that is a really, really big step for a guy whose job is to put a good product on the ice year after year, you can step back and realize that one of your 
biggest pieces to your organization is stepping away for his own reason. And you can still acknowledge, Josh, look, this is about the person. Absolutely. And I think we have to recognize that there's there's an age difference between Mark and, and Carrie. And so we don't know the personal relationship that the two of them have. He, Mark could be like a second father to Carrie. You don't know that. And so when, when you're a GM of a sports team, you're not just the, the boss. You're, you, you form personal relationships with these people. You get involved. You see them grow up. You see them get married, potentially. You see them have kids. You see them trying to balance being a parent and being a professional athlete. And I, I, I can totally understand why Mark would be emotional about that because you do end up it it sounds cliche but w- when you're a sports team you are a family and when part of your family is hurting you you can't help but be affected by that yeah we see them every every day every two three days claire uh you know playing a game you might hear about the thing in practice but we see only a very microcosm section of time in which that these athletes do spend with each other. And as Josh pointed out, yeah, it's cliche, but there is some truth to that. There is family attachment when you are part of a team on any level. 100%. It's those teams that end up forming those strongest family connections and, and bonds that end up doing well. And we saw last year that maybe they have this deeper connection that other teams don't have right now or are or, or, or trying to achieve because you, you can see it in the emotion of not just his coach, but his teammates that they really care about each other. And they proved last season that they have something really special going on in Montreal right now. And I think that just might be a huge integral part to their continued success And hopefully, like we said earlier in the show, that that also includes supporting Carrie the way that he needs right now. So that when when and if he does make the decision to put his jersey back on, that he knows that they've had his back this whole time. Absolutely. Um, And I think we've seen that because we've had the, the Jonathan Drouin case as well in Montreal, where he had to step away last year for a, a period of time and you you heard stories from his teammates about them reaching out to him and and making sure that he was okay and if memory serves me Carrie was was absolutely one of those checking in on him and making sure that that uh, Jonathan was okay and I would fully expect them to do the same thing here because I mean that's from what I've read and what I've seen that's that's your leader and just to briefly touch back on something you mentioned earlier, Brock, I, I think part of the problem is the way the media handles things. When we say, oh, they're getting up there, let's remember that a professional athlete's career usually ends in their 30s or 40s. So there's 30 to 40 to 50 years of life 
after professional sports. So for us to to act like somebody is washed up when they're 30 years old, just it's 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 laughable. It is. Um, and the thing that I that I've seen on on social media um, since this announcement are things like, even though I don't cheer for the Montreal Canadiens, uh, Carrie, you are better in this league than out of it. And I think that speaks to the, you know, the, the, the power that the name Carrie Price has in North America. Of course, he's been, you know, Canada's goalie many times at, at different events. This goes beyond the, oh, I don't cheer for that team, so it doesn't matter. When you recognize good talent, you want to see that good talent in the league, but you also want to see that good talent in the league uh, healthy and in 100% physical and mental state. Um, We mentioned this off the top of the program, and that's that Robin Leonard has been pretty vocal on a lot of things, sending out tweets, as we mentioned, but also being very critical of the NHL, accusing them, you know, when this started, of once we get vaccinations, things will lax. And then we found out that he's had uh, some mental health issues as well. Do you think there's any tie, Josh, to the fact that this is a two goalies having the same type of conversation? Or is it two separate situations? Having been a goalie myself and and knowing some goalies, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. So I don't think that the two are unrelated. I really don't. Uh, I can remember having conversations with friends who were goalies and hearing them say things like, I let them down. I didn't do my job. And I I kept reminding those friends like, sure, the goal went in and we lost the game, but there are five guys in front of you, guys and girls ahead of you who also had a job to do. But I just think, there's this narrative of I'm the last line of defense. I have to be perfect. And that really wears on you after a while. It really does. And I I know I've gotten to the ends of seasons going, do I want to keep doing this? And I am by no means a professional athlete as, as we all know. But you you just can't help it because the the stress is there. So I I don't for a moment diminish the fact that other players on the ice can go through the same things. But I do think it's more for a goalie, to be quite honest with you. Claire, just quick comments. Do you think there's a correlation there or is it not the same? I think there is a at least a little bit correlation there. Like Josh said, it it's there's a lot of pressure on goalies and I think social media and the media has a lot to do with that as well. When, when a game is lost, they, who do you look to first is who was in net and the blame starts going from there and and then trickles out. So it's, it's hard to have the, uh, the initial target on your back when, when the, uh, the loss happens. 
couldn't agree more. And I want to end this segment by saying that I wish Carrie Price, I and this whole panel wish Carrie Price nothing but the best in his, you know, search to get himself right. And I cannot wait to see him back between the pipes because as I've seen many times on social media this week, he is better in the game than out of it. But the fans need to continue to support him and the league and everyone else surrounding him. So best of luck to Kerry and his family. And we are here for what they're going through. Coming up after the break, we're going to put a wrap on the Toronto Blue Jays season. They were one game short of a tiebreaker. And we'll put a wrap and I will discuss what grade I would give Charlie Montoyo ending the season. We'll be back. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Neutral Zone here on AMI Audio. I'm your host, Brock Richardson, joined by Claire Buchanan and Josh Watson. We have some uh, preliminary news to pass along to you, and that is that um, all Ontario-based teams, so Senators, Raptors, and Toronto Maple Leafs, are going to be allowed full capacity at their games. Again, this is a preliminary report that just came out just minutes ago. So do uh, your research on it, but that is the Colds Nodes version of what we know at this hour. Uh, I want to get in a little bit about the Toronto Blue Jays, and I'm going to kind of jump a bit on the page here because we don't have a lot of time. But uh, first of all, I want to talk about the fact that we now know that the Toronto Blue Jays have had um, their season come to an end, and they had three different homes. They had Florida, where their record was 10 wins, 11 losses. They had Buffalo, where their record was 12 wins, 11 losses. And then they had Toronto, which was a 25 and 11, 25 wins and 11 losses. What do you guys make of those numbers? Are they important or is it just given the circumstance, Josh? I think they're absolutely critical. I think what it shows you is that home field does actually make a difference. Going into this season, I would have told you that professional athletes are professional athletes and what happens around you wouldn't have that much of a deal but I think what these numbers absolutely show is that when you're in a, a home stadium where your fans are behind you and your fans outnumber the opponent's fans, it makes a huge difference. If they could have spent e- even those Buffalo dates in their home park here in Toronto, maybe we're having a different conversation right now. Yeah. I mean, we, we, yeah, we, we, our season ended with one game short. Let's be real here. And yes, we had a few more games in Toronto at home, but absolutely home field advantage matters. And we see athletes who have now played for other teams leaving Toronto that still talk about the powerful and impactful 
crowd that Toronto has in this city that loves coming out and supporting Blue Jays baseball. And I think, Josh, you hit it right on the head that like if we had five or six, even one or two more games here at home and and a little bit of better umpiring at the end of the uh, season, I think we would definitely be having a different conversation. Oh, Claire throws in a little bit better umpiring there as the uh-huh. the wrinkle. Very interesting, very interesting conversation. I will say this very quickly. I do not think the box that all TV networks does not adds to their broadcast does not help the uh, umpires, whether they are 100% accurate or not. I think it gives the fans an idea of what's a good pitch and what's not, even if it's not 100% accurate. Uh, the couple of things I want to go over here. We had Ari Shapiro on our program last week, and he gave manager Charlie Montoyo a failing grade. And I really disagree with this, and I'm going to uh, enlist some reasons why, and then I want to get your take on this. We now know that Charlie Montoyo and his staff will be back, but they had three different homes, as we said already. Then they had some bullpen issues and injuries, and their star player, George Springer, was out for uh, the vast majority of the season. Plus, then we also came back from a seven-game deficit from the New York Yankees, and I would personally give Charlie Montoyo a C. I think that Charlie Montoyo's Purpose coming here was to be a good manager for the players, be a good manager for coaches under these um, circumstances that we weren't necessarily expecting. Josh, do you agree with my grade? Why or why not in about two minutes? I think that's fair. Um, My personal feeling is that it might be a bit higher, maybe a B minus. And Here's my reason why. I believe that Charlie's role is to help the young players, and I'm thinking specifically of Bo and Vladdy, adjust to being major leaguers. In that regard, he's done that. Now, I don't grade him higher than that because we all watched while for parts of that season throws from the left side of the diamond were not always the strongest, let's just say. So I think there's still some work to be done there in teaching particularly Bo that it's not about making a flashy play, it's about making a solid play. And the argument I keep hearing for a negative grade is that he did a poor job with the bullpen. Well, I'm sorry, but when you have a choice of Tyler Chatwood... Tanner Roark, Rafael Dolis, Tyler Sacedo. That's that that's the problem. Yeah, that is the problem. And I have it here that I would give Charlie Montoya one more season and that is it to see what he gets if all things are equal. That is the end of our show for this week. I'd like to thank Claire Buchanan and Josh Watson. Our technical producer is Matt Agnew. Our technical supervisor is Paula Deneen. And our manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. Tune in next week because you just never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone. Have a great long weekend and we will talk to you next week.
This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.